AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Yeah, I come from the school of Tupac. I'm a rival. Yeah, you don't want to what? Man, that's me. Man. Tell I'm not your ever single. Hold up. Tess, I want to ask you a question real quick. Let's just keep it real straight shot with no chaser. I'm going to get a little bit rough. I'm here for those who really believe in the American process. All of us. Straight shot, no chaser. With your girl, Tesla Figaro, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is Tesla Figaro with Straight Shot No Chaser. This is part two of my interview with Yanajaha. Please make sure that you check out the first interview so you can catch up. The interview was so good, we had to break it up in two parts. I hope you enjoy. You know, you talk a lot about both your Black history as well as your Native American history, both two marginalized groups. Yeah. My background, my mother's side, you know, in Oklahoma's Native American, my grandmother, great-grandmother, my family, my daddy's side, Creole, Louisiana, which is Native American, Spanish, Black, French, you name it. And I don't talk a lot about my heritage. And I think because we're in a space, not that they control me, but I recognize that we're in a space Mm-hmm. of where people feel you have to choose one or the other. And, you know, for clarity, for those who listen, who want to go hashtag, you know, all of my family came from this country, everybody, you know, period, whatever background they shared. Yeah. And so there's this conversation, particularly with the reparations conversation, yeah, that you can't share other history, which most people do. Most people have something else in them. And, and so there seems to be a, okay, are you... Are you picking a side between Native American or Black or, you know, Native Americans already got reparations. Black people should get reparations. How have you been able to to, I guess, mesh those worlds beautifully without feeling as if you're choosing one side or the other or you're being what they call anti-Black? Because there's folks out there to say that if you talk about your Native American history, you must be anti-Black. Why are you not leaning on when I when I see you, I see a Black woman. So why are you talking about Native American? You know, how do you make that work? Uh, in your world? You know, it's um, I was raised by a Native American mother. I came out of the womb of a Native American mother that that I used to think that she looked like Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman, Linda, what's her name? Linda something in the old show. I used to be like, Mom, that she look, you look just like her. You know, that's how my mother looked. Um, my dad, Black, um, he was in prison most of my life, but an amazing fine artist. Um, his work is in the Smithsonian. His skin was as dark and black and beautiful as Idris Elba, you know. Um, Who, by the way, is I my have, first husband. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and which, which is why me myself being biracial, being mixed, is I'm beautifully brown skin melanated, and and so growing up with my mother, you know, I would say that I was always. People used to always like check, you know, especially like check one black Native American. And then I used to check two. And then in school or my peers like, well, why don't you why why don't you just check one? You look black. Just say you black. 
I said, why deny my mother? I'm not going to deny my mother. And people, people yelled at me and said, oh, you anti-black or why are you trying to like, you look black. And I'm like, because I'm not just black. I'm Native American and black. And so, and, and my family fought hard as hell to be here on both sides. I think that we have, even those that, even yourself, that your great, great grandmother is Native, learning and understanding that rich history, that culture, it's a beautiful way to acknowledge that. I feel that is that we should acknowledge the mixture of who we are because that's what makes us who we are. There's certain things, there's attributes in our physical and there's attributes even spiritually, emotionally that Native Americans do. And there's attributes in certain things that Black people do or certain African tribes that they do that we have to understand what makes us who we are as I am. And I think, and we can't deny that and think it's only one way. I always said that being Native American and Black, I feel like I'm the oppressed under the oppressed. That God has blessed me to have a certain platform. And, I, and I've been on The Breakfast Club. You know, I think the biggest thing was when I did the Indigenous Peoples Day on The Breakfast Club. And, and everyone was looking like it was a huge, they still debate. You know, so that was in 2015. I did that. They still debate till this day saying she, she looks like the real Native Americans, you know, not the five dollar Indian. So you're saying that some of my aunts and my uncles are not real Native Americans, but they're dealing with real Native American issues. Why are you denying them? Because the thing is, is that my tribe is the poorest community in the United States, Pine Ridge, South Dakota. 98% of the people on my reservation is unemployed. And, and you working with Bernie, I know you know this a lot because Bernie been to our res, our communities, you know. Um, shout out to Bernie for doing that, coming to Standing Rock and everything and having understanding. He has a couple of people around him, Tara Hauska, you know, that work really close with him on teaching him about Native Americans today. Yeah, shout but, out Bernie. Shout out to Bernie. Bernie, you need to take your ass back now the campaign <laughs> trail is over. Go ahead. That, that part. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, but I think that, you know, what well, we deal with alcoholism, we're dealing with drugs, with meth. There's over 576 federally and non-federally recognized tribes in the United States today. We're not extinct. We're not just a mascot. We are not just a Halloween costume. We are not just a Thanksgiving holiday. We're not just a, oh, let's talk about them during Christopher, so-called Christopher Columbus Day. We are people that are here 365 days dealing with real people problems as the first nations of this people. And they continue to make us like we are monolith and that we are um, just people that are extinct, you know, that we're just street signs and monuments. And we are still here. And so being in this in this space that God has blessed me in, I do feel like I'm the oppressed under the oppressed, because when I look at the contributions that we as black people have made and that we're still making now, you see black lives matter everywhere. You know, you're seeing black power everywhere, just black excellence everywhere. There is no Native American representation on any major platform. You don't see Native American actors, actresses, only if you're watching a vintage movie. Or or, or if they do, they may not share their background. Because again, like you said, there's no way to really tell. My Aunt Barbara and, and Judy and all, they look, I guess, the tradition, you know, how you would expect at least yeah. the stereotype Native Americans to look. So there might be people that are, but maybe they don't. I'm maybe talking they about don't the share. people that are, that represent. That represent it. Yeah, got gotcha. you. You gotcha. don't see Native Americans gotcha. on these platforms. You don't see, we don't have a, we, we just, yesterday we got Deb Halen to be the interior secretary. And so she just, we just got her confirmed, but she was the first, you know, that's the first Native American period politician. That's crazy. In a land ever. that, right. So, then, how, but, so how do you deal then? Because a lot of your conversation is centered on Native Americans. So do you it deal? Is on, because, because I feel that. Like, I feel that we have a lot of wonderful, amazing black spokespeople, black excellence, black, all of that. But when I go back home and I'm seeing my five year old nieces and nephews and my six year old or my 12 year old contemplating suicide 
because they are lacking hope because they don't see themselves. We always push within the black community to make sure that our black daughters and girls have a black doll to see themselves, that our black sons are able to see Black Panther in comics and and to see a Michelle Obama. But my nieces and my nephews, these young people do not have that. And our suicide rate is as low as eight years old. So that's the reason why I feel that as much as I talk about black empowerment and black history and black everything, I'll also make sure that I'm right there or even more with Native American representation because of the fact. And I'm glad you said that, that 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 you're okay with saying, yeah, sometimes it's even more because it's a missing gap. And that that I think being being authentic to that. And saying that, at least anybody with any sense will respect that because there is the conversation of, okay, you get to pick and choose what oppressed person you want to be. You know, if you want to be black because it's all about, oh, yeah, black girl magic, black girl history, black, 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 I'm black, black, black. And then when it's Native American, okay, I'm Native American. And it's the the dualness of, you know, being able to, and you see it as, though it's the dualness of oppression. But there's also people that see it as, well, you just kind of get to fit in wherever you want to your benefit. So I'm glad that you were uh, honest enough to say, Sometimes it's even more because there's a missing gap, which goes back to why I talk about push the line. We all have different stuff to do because I feel that way with black class issues. I -hmm. feel, you know, somebody say, why don't you talk about reparations more? Why don't you talk about I do? But that's not the hill I down. I don't talk about that all day. I talk about what was closest to me, you know, growing up. I talk about mass incarceration. I talk about my homies locked up. I talk about gangs. I talk about people from the street. It's not that I don't talk about I can talk about various different policies. I'm a news of the day commentator. And I yeah. go to Fox News. So it's probably not anything that I can't talk about. But what I'm what centers me are the things that I feel there's not a voice consistently, a voice. you know, Consist- making sure mm-hmm. that that this yeah. sector is included, because there's yeah. a lot of people that talk about class, but haven't came from the class or even, you know, may not be able to authentically identify. Charlamagne calls me the hood whisperer, not that mm-hmm. I'm the only one from the hood, but God mm-hmm. has given me a gift to be able to reach certain demographics that have been completely, you know, cut off. And so even in that instance, they say, you only talk about, I give you, you only talk about the streets. You don't talk about the hood. No, I don't. I won Orlando Business Journal twice, 40 under 40, women who mean business. I was a business owner. I had staff. I talk about economic development for black folks, but I talk about the streets most of all because I don't feel that conversation, you know, there's grassroots, a lot of the organizations we talked about, the NAACP, the Urban League, and then I started Concrete Roots off of Tupac's vision, you know, the the roads that grew from concrete, because concrete is truly at the bottom, it's beneath the grass, it's digging down to the part that you never see any value in, and I do that because I feel it's not a lot of conversation about that, so I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you said that. On that, yeah, sometimes I do it more and it is what it is because nobody's yeah. talking about it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it hurts me because we're not talking about just we're talking about a race of people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about an entire race. We're now seeing we're seeing Indians from India being represented on television. I feel that it's always it's been orchestrated that way because white America wants us to believe that they knew how to control and conquer people. And look at, so it will always be, look what happened to the Native Americans. So if you act out of line, look at what happened to the Native. No, we're still here. That's why when we was in Standing Rock, our chant was, we are still here. We are still here. That was our chant. We had the Reverend Yearwood from the Hip Hop Caucus, when he came to Standing Rock, he said, the civil rights movement was a fight of resistance. But Native Americans, this movement, The Standing Rock movement is a fight of existence. Mm -hmm. We are fighting for our existence. So it's not a lot of people. So even when I do or when I do on major platforms of organizing marches or conferences or any of that, I'm like, we're so we have all these group of people here. But you need re- Native American representation. Well, I don't know. No natives. They they good. They on the casino. They all. No, they're not good that, because they're always being forgotten. And we're more than just a prayer and a song. Don't just don't invite us for a prayer and a song. How we know how we have. We're we're we're, we're, we're a race of people, you know. And that also, like you said, it has a lot to do with where you grew up yep. uh, being in Oklahoma, which is Midwest 
the street side was heavily influenced by the West Coast because everybody came down there to sell dope and do all of that. But Oklahoma's flag is Native American. So I grew up knowing about Native American. That wasn't foreign. That That it's is a, the Trail the of largest, Tears. It's, the, it's one of the largest, po- it is the largest population of Native Americans in Oklahoma. About half of the state is owned by Native Americans. Right, <laughs> but going outside of that, Mm-hmm. No one know, you know, I've lived in Orlando, Dallas, Houston, Chicago. It's never a conversation. So I can tell the, you know, the difference. Um, yeah. But I would say there's not a connection between black people per se and Native American. Most people that I know that are, you know, still on the rolls and still, you know, lit tribes, even they don't necessarily feel the urge to constantly advocate or speak up on, you know, or, or speak on that. So that even in that space, there's not a, they don't, they don't, and, and, you know, it's crazy. You said, because a lot of people like want to call me a black Indian or, and I'm like, I'm not a black Indian. There's, there's difference of black Indians or, um, I don't even like that. I hate the term Afro anything or Afro native, you know, I'm like, no, I'm black and native American. And um, but why, do, why don't you like that? That what, what is it Indians, about that? Yeah. Black Indians come from for those that what we're talking about, like those are from the so-called civilized tribes of the seven regions and being on the dolls rolls. You know, have um, 89% of African-Americans have native in their lineage. So that that lineage part for me, my mom was native. My dad is black. You know what I'm saying? So that's the that's the difference of that, because my tribe, there was no contact with black people. We're in, in the Dakotas. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like how it was in the southern region or the east coast where you see Native Americans that look just like us. You know, that look like they have black in their lineage or vice versa, you know, or they look Caribbean. They have mixture of Caribbeans or um, so-called Latino people in their lineage because of the intermixing within the southern and the eastern realm. You know, then you see a lot of a lot of natives look Asian within the West Coast and the Southwest, you know, because of some of the mixing from Asia. And even you hear it in their dialect and their language. I feel that like I've traveled to almost every reservation. And I've always saw something from another race of people, whether whether it was the beadwork, whether it was the songs, whether their language. I was like, wow, they sound Korean when they're speaking in their native tongue. Or when I went to the Seminole Nation, I'm like, y'all look like the this, your your regalia, the print looks like the shores of Ghana, of the Ivory Coast. And it was like, yeah, and they, so they start sharing these stories. So some tribes have what, um, these stories of once a time of they were uniting together and coming together as a tribe with other nations of people. My tribe, the, the only connection we had was with the French trying to colonize us. So we, um, but so we have some people in my tribe that are full blood Lakota, you know, and even after tests or whatever, they come out like that. And so I'm not a black Indian and I'm black and native. So a lot of times some people like I'm in a whole bunch, of, you know, those videos that be coming through mm-hmm. where people be like, this is what the real natives look like. And they always putting me up on here. And I'm like, no, my dad was black and my mom is native. Yeah, and like- I think it's because, again, <laughs> this this uh, oppression war of, you know, race, if you will, mm-hmm. not not war, but race of who's mm-hmm. the most oppressed. And because yep. the reparations <laughs> conversation is out now, uh, yes. there are folks say, no, the real Native Americans look black. They were black. They were, you know, which is why for those listening before we started the show. You know, I shared with you a book that I had called Slave Narratives uh, from mm-hmm. the Federal Writers Project in Oklahoma. And, it talk- three. and I, I, I talked about that because it talks about how uh, enslaved black people, you know, worked with Native Americans who many were also enslaved and, and worked together uh, towards freedom. But I think it's because I don't know and I can't speak on their behalf, but I don't know if it's an appreciation for Native American more than it is being able to say Native Americans look black. And it's still us, you know, that we're here first and the oppression war. You you know what yeah. I mean? Because the same people that say, oh, I told you she looks like that. That's that's right. We try to tell you Native Americans black because the reparation conversation is out. You know, do we give Native American tribes more reparations? Did they get enough? Do we give it straight to black people? You know, are you know, African-American are descendants, descendants of slaves. You know, and that that lineage matters in that conversation. You know, where you derive from is all about lineage. So although I think it is some people that appreciate being able to say, see, that's what real Native American. I think a lot of that is driven from this oppression race 
on who is the most oppressed and who deserves the resources now and, yeah, you know, it, and, it, and it, how it, much. I'm happy we're having this conversation because Charlemagne was telling me that I need to have this conversation publicly. So I'm happy that we're having this on your show. <laughs> Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What what are your thoughts on reparations? That's the whole debate. I, I feel that Blacks and Natives need to have reparations. Um, the reason for that is because about 300, well, I'll say about two, three to 200 years prior to the first slave ship coming here from Africa, Native Americans within all the, I call it, we call it Turtle Island, which is North America, South America, and Canada and the Caribbean, but were slaves as well. Um, and then as well as all of everything that happened, you know, for them to colonize and take this entire country. Did Native Americans get reparations? No. A lot of people always that I don't know where that come from, you know, but I'll I'll tell you where it comes from, because I want you to speak on it. You know, it comes from being able to get land that was given, at least in Oklahoma, you know, being able to have tribal land. 
uh, being able to build on that land, even though, like you mentioned, a lot of suffering on that lack of education, alcoholism, d- disease, lack of health care, you know, all of those things uh, mm-hmm. outside of just the typical casino. You know, you got a casino, but being able to even with the casinos, you know, being able to have the money pour back into the Native American community. So especially folks that may not understand how the money is working in, in the average black person's mind, they see that Native Americans got something and black people got nothing. So the 40 acres and a mule never happened. And so I can see probably from a Native American standpoint, okay, we didn't get the 40 acres. We only got five. So don't get it twisted. We didn't get the rest of, you know, what is actually due. But in the black person's mind, they're saying we didn't get nothing at all. So in their mind, they're saying, yo, Native Americans got some form of reparations that was paid, you know, from the United States for that particular sin. And that hasn't happened with black people. So what's your thought on that? So I don't look at that as reparations. I look at that as due process. (laughs) I look at that as basically they came in and they, you know, there was over 500 million Native Americans here. And today I believe that we are at 7 million Mm -hmm. Native Americans that are here in the United States. The lot, the plots of land that they that we fought for, we fought many died, you know, in order for us to fight for all of our land. So basically they put us on plots of land called reservations. The reservations was not our ancestral lands in regards to us to be able to grow food, grazing, all the things that we're able to do to sustain our, our nation of people, our tribes. So they put us on dead land that you can't do nothing on. Then from there, they was like, all right. Y'all fiend for yourselves while we continue to take the rest of America. And then they ended, then this is, this is my, like my version of America's history real quick. So basically then they said, okay, now we'll govern you all and we'll start our own government called the BIA Bureau of Indian Affairs. And we're going to, since you all don't know how to feed yourselves, clothe yourselves because they like, they still blamed us. And they was like, okay, we'll give you guys food. And we'll give you guys health care. And then we're, we're said that you're now federally recognized. We're going to recognize you all. Okay. So let, let me ask you, I don't, I don't want to stop you, but I want to dig into that part before we go yeah. further, because I, I think what I'm hearing is you're saying, I don't call that reparations because maybe it is not full repair. It is not uh complete. Is that what you're saying? Because, and I, I want to be clear because I, I want to make sure that for the listener there, translating what you're saying because the other argument is okay well due process is a legal process of what is owed and so that is what the argument is for black people in reparations due process what is owed a debt is owed so whether we call it due process or reparations is still one in the same as far as legally federally recognizing something and giving something and what i'm hearing what you're saying is okay they gave us land, but it wasn't worth shit. But then there's an argument with black people saying, but we didn't even get the land. We didn't even get the 40 acres in a mill. Well, you know, so they so gave what's us, your thoughts? I think they I think that they gave us exactly what they gave some sharecroppers in regards to those that said, okay, you could have this land. There was a lot of like I'm in Georgia, right? Historically, a lot of black people that got land as being sharecroppers. And what they did with that land is whatever they did with that land. Folks got land. Now, that's the same thing with us. We got land. What we did with that land is a whole nother situation. And so I feel that we got one and the same. Now, the only difference is that we had to govern ourselves. We had to take we had a fiend for our entire tribe of people. Yeah. And and unlike, you know, families of sharecroppers that was getting land, they had to just take care of their family. They didn't have to take care of all black people. That's true. Now, let's let's pin right there. This is a great conversation. I hope you go on the reparations podcast, too, that they just did with Black Effect, because I think this is good. We're going way longer than expected, but this is just a damn good conversation. (laughs) So let's go back to that thing because the sharecroppers and just for folks to listen, we're not debating. We're trying to, you know, yeah, really yeah, get yeah, down to yeah. this because I, your perspective is very interesting. So the argument with black people with the sharecroppers is, yeah, they gave us land, quote unquote, allowed us to be sharecroppers, but we had to pay a tax back to the slave master, and which means we never 
It was we never owned that land. So I, I think and I, I do know that people got land, but I do know the argument is no, they 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 gave it to us, but it was like, okay, you can have the land as long as you pay five thousand dollars. And so they never truly owned the land because of the constant they had to toll the land versus Native Americans actually got the land and got to govern themselves. Is that what I'm understanding? Or we got to govern it? ourselves. But if we became federally recognized because we wanted food and we wanted health care. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, our food is remember, remember back in the day when we used to get commodity boxes, commodity food. Mm-hmm. That's, that was our food. The government cheese and all that. That was our food. Mm-hmm. So that was the food that we it's not like they gave us like, oh, we're going to give you nice food. No, they gave us commodity boxes and said, mm-hmm. we'll give you guys this. And just so we could govern you all, we'll say that you're self-governing, but we also need to we need to govern what you're self-governing. So we still controlling you all. You all also have to give us a certain amount of money to back to the Bureau of Indian Affairs for us governing you. So so it really is the same situation. It just looks nice on paper. I guess they try to make it look nice on paper. But when you're living in it, it's not it like and then the casino problem, like the casino situation. Because a lot of people say reparations, they got casinos. Well, what it is, is that we was able to find a way to be able to have have gambling, have a business on this land that we are on, this so-called, I would say so-called sovereign land that we're on. That business was casinos. It goes right back to like, now, are we good at handling the business of these casinos? Yeah. No, no, but, a lot but, of them, a lot of, a lot of tribes did not. And a lot of them, like, for instance, I have a casino on my tribe. None of us get paid from that casino. We're basically generating the money back to ourselves. Like not even generating, we're not even generating money. It's just enough just to pay the workers at the casino. Right. But don't you think that's a different argument though? Even though I hear what you're saying, cause it's just like, yeah. if they say now, Hey, we gave $500,000 grant to the hood to do what you need to do. Now, how you mismanage right. it is on you or how you do it right. is on you. But I think the argument comes down to, it, it still it hasn't been given to black people, period. You know, so yeah. when you I understand totally what you're saying. In other words, when we say the word rep, reparations, if we're going to just break down the word repair, there has not been repair for your community is what you're saying. There hasn't been repair in, in our community. And when you talk about like the reparations, because some I've heard this, too, like Native Americans have got their reparations in cert- like certain tribes, they will start mentioning there was a meme that was out of various tribes that they said got reparations. Those were lawsuits, mm-hmm. just like how the Tuskegee experiment was a lawsuit. Right. But and let's like that's different than reparations. Right. But I, I do want to, you know, to get reparations, you have a claim. It has to be a lawsuit is what I'm saying. That's that's the part that I'm trying to make sure that. Either I'm I'm understanding what you're saying and that the person listening is following because reparations is a lawsuit. It is a claim, a justice claim. And that's where the argument comes in with who is entitled to the justice claim because it's based upon lineage. It's not just yeah. based upon the color of somebody's skin or, hey, I came I, my I, you can't trace my lineage back to being an American descendant of slave. But I'm black and I still suffer from racism. It is about lineage. And that's why the argument says, oh, you guys are anti-immigrant or, oh, you know, I'm talking to the reparation community. They'll say, oh, they're anti-immigrant. They're anti-. But that's not it. They're trying to get because in order to have a justice claim due process, you have to be able to show you know, the, the claimant, you know, and, and yeah. why they have a claim. And so the, the whole reparation argument is about due process and is about not even ever getting even the casino. But I hear what you're saying, which is no, that was not repair. That was hoodwink, bamboozle, led astray. It did not repair our communities. It was just given as once again, another, you know, uh, way to, to keep funneling from our communities. But I would just want to be fair in the argument to say that, you know, there's black people that says, okay, but we didn't even get the sovereign land. We didn't even get the casino. We didn't even get federally recognized. One of the arguments and rec- reparations is to be federally recognized, be actually a descendant of slave, that that should be separate and apart from just being black. I, I feel that natives and blacks should get reparations. I don't think there should be a one or the other. And I hate the fact that there is a constant debate on that yeah. because I feel that we have suffered. We have suffered as black and natives on this soil have suffered so much. And I feel that we should give reparations. And I don't feel that it should like exactly what you was talking about, the oppression wars. My my struggle is worse than your struggle. Like we we glamorize our pain for 
for, you know what I'm saying, to try to make make us be more, you know, woe to me more. Yeah, and, I and, and, I, and I think it's all, I think that some of that, but some of it is kind of like going back to when you said that people don't even recognize that Native American exist. Yeah. It goes back to you got one community saying y'all don't even acknowledge that we exist. And then you got the black person saying over there, oh, they acknowledge you exist because they cut the check. And then you right. said, no, but the check, they made us pay it right back on in interest and then some. So I, I think it comes down to, I, I hope you do more conversations on this because the education needs to be out there. Because in the reality of it is, I always say, I don't tell you how it should be. I'm telling you how it is. And how it is, is in politics, the loudest group, the 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 squeaky wheel, you know, gets the oil. And the yeah. reality is, it sounds good to say, we should all come together. We all should get reparations. But the reality of it is, if they do it, it, it more than likely won't be both. It's going to be one or the other. And so because of that, because we have been so oppressed and we know that they divide and we know they divide and conquer and we know they pick and choose who is their favorite oppressed person. There is, you know, just speaking of the devil's advocate of how, you know, how people feel that, okay, when it comes down to it, they're only going to choose one or the other, or at least for the first round. Even if you look at just what our stimulus checks that went out. Some folks yeah. got it, some folks didn't. I'm using that as a metaphor, as an analogy. Okay, if you only made this amount, you got it. If you only made that amount, you got it. And then I know people who are on disability that didn't get it at all because they didn't meet the cutoff. So now they got to get it on a rebate, you know, to go in and file their taxes. They don't even file taxes. They don't even make enough to file taxes. So right. I, I, because of white supremacy, we have had to have oppression wars. And mm-hmm. even though it sounds good to say, well, we should all come together. When it comes down to them writing that check, they're going to push one or the other and black people, at least that push for reparations that, you know, this is their fight all the time, feel that they continue to keep going it behind the line, behind the line. Okay, after this group, after that group, after Native Americans, after Jewish, after Chinese, after this, and some all of those groups have gotten at least a little bit of something. But I hear what you're saying to say, no, when you break down the details of that, it was nothing. But but we also have to recognize that there's still people that says, no, but Black people as a collective, just like some people, like you said, sharecroppers got land. Some did, some didn't. But as a collective, not being federally recognized to say, if we just want to go on our own land and raise our own food and do whatever and how whatever, do we have that choice? And I think the argument is black people don't have that choice. At least the American descendants of slaves even have the choice. But it doesn't mean that what they gave you or Native American community was right and fair and just and equal. It, it just, you know, it, that even in, in once a year that all of the tribes, they go to D.C. and they also are at war of their oppression in order for them to re, to receive certain grants, federal grants allotted for their youth programs or whatever, you know, and they fight amongst themselves, you know, as tribal presidents. And they, and they go and they're like, you know, my tribe needs this money more. And they go to the government once a year. And, and can know. I ask you, are those grants constructed for Native Americans specifically? Yeah. OK, so one of the arguments on, you know, again, when black people are pushing why there's this oppression war is because our our grants are never for African-Americans specifically. They're not for American descendants of slaves specifically. It's for minorities, disadvantaged, underserved, underprivileged. Yeah. And then that yeah. puts black people in the back of the line again to compete yeah. with everybody who's poor. No matter yeah. what their race is, it, it, it puts women, if you're going to say, oh, women, it that would mean I got to compete with white women. I've lost contracts to white women. So I, I think it's important, you know, that all these groups that we're hearing each other, you know, and what, why that pain. And I'm only speaking to when you say you don't know why they say that, because I wanted to, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. speak on that behalf yeah. on why, yeah. because yeah. at least. And even though it's not shit and they got to fight among scraps, like I'm hearing what you're saying. They're giving you one piece of bread and saying, figure it out. You know, y'all figure it out. But with the black people that are fighting reparations saying, well, we don't even get the bread specifically for us because we have to keep competing. Not even just what you said, tribe amongst tribe. Not only do we got to compete with black folks, we got to compete with everybody who's poor. Chinese, Hispanic, Native American. What? So when is it going to be federally recognized as a descendant of slave, American descendant of slave, as a recognized group that traces back to the lineage the same way that the Native American community have with being on the rolls and being on the dock, you know, and and being identified? Does that? And I and I I think that that should happen most Mm -hmm. definitely. And I also (laughs) I want to I want to know how many people will really start claiming their blackness. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> the same way that people be, you know, do 
paying, you know, claiming their nativeness because they're thinking natives get money. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's that whole, once again, it's that whole thing. Picking but and I choosing. That, well, and see, that's why yeah. the lineage conversation <laughs> right. is there because if you can't right. prove that you come from that lineage, just like in the Native American community, you can yep. run around and say, oh yeah, my great-grandmother, she was da-da-da-da. But if you're not on the rolls, if your family on the rolls, you don't get access to tribal benefits. You just don't. Yeah. And so the, yeah. the the argument is, and I've seen, matter of fact, uh, Monroe Bird, a case uh, that I worked in Oklahoma, you know, Cherokee on the rolls, family had health care coverage yeah. that ran out. You know, I watched he was shot by a security, uh, a security guard, his family. Mm-hmm. This truly was a young man that never got in any trouble in his life, was in the car with, a, with a, a white young lady. And the guy thought he was smoking weed and wanted to arrest him. He drove away as he was driving away. He was shot and paralyzed from the neck on down. They ran through his personal uh, insurance policy. Family was a pastor's son. And then they leaned on Native American health insurance. And and that ran out. And I watched and I was there that day when they sent him home. And I said, on the record, you're sending him home to die. And it's Mm. a damn shame that this is a, a, a black young man who is Native American, no question about it, on the rolls and still went home. And he died about 60 days later. So wow. I hear you when I say, and, and to me, that was the toughest case for me because he was a living victim. A lot of these cases I work on, you don't know, you know, I worked on George Floyd case, but I don't, I never met George Floyd to watch uh, Monroe and look in his eyes. That was the only thing that he could move because he was paralyzed from the neck on down. So the only thing expression he had was on his face. And I always tell this story because it was so powerful to me when I would come in the room and say, okay, my publicist is here. She's here to, you know, make sure my story gets out that, hurt me deeply because you really feel like you let him down. And for me, that really let me down because I had a chance to interact and watch him die. And I yelled and screamed and wrote letters. I mean, if you Google it, you'll see the day he was taken home from the hospital. I had him bring the cameras there, do it all to say this man is going home to die because his mother, she doesn't know how to take care of a uh, paraplegic. And that's wow. what happened. He got a blood clot in his legs, but because he was paraplegic, by the time it got to his heart, he died. Wow. So I hear what you're saying, sister. And I hear, I understand, you know, the lack of resources on both sides. And I, I, I think, I, I hope, it, I agree with Charlemagne. You know, you have blessed us with, with tribal knowledge that I know people don't know. I hope you continue to share on other platforms. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. 
To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But you know what I really like about you? The the ability to uh, educate and listen and us to be able to try to discern what we're saying and, and yeah. get understanding because I'm not challenging anything you're saying. I'm just trying to, you know, walk people but through this conversation so that we get some pre- understanding. I, yeah, I appreciate that because a lot of times when people have these conversations with me, they want to argue with me and debate with me, you know? And so for us to be able to have this conversation on like, let's walk through this thing because it it is a conversation that needs to be had. And, and I'm always, a lot of people always making memes of my face in this conversation and, you know, and, and then, um, or who's the real Indians and, you know, and all of that, you know, it's a constant. So I, I love that we're having this conversation and we're, and it's a healthy conversation and I'm learning from you, you know, And I think that it's important that we do that because a lot of people want to debate with me on how I see, you know, the the close relationship between blacks and Native Americans. And then what does that look like? You know, so. And I think it uh, it comes down to where people are uh, in their advocacy, because I could see people really getting offended and being upset and you feeling you need to defend. Cause like you said, Hey, I'm going to speak up for that because I know it. I know, I know it's not reparations in the form of repair. Cause I'm looking at my people hurting. So I feel you. And, and, but and that's I, the thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I do. And I, and I see, and I'm seeing it on both ends. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm seeing, I'm like, man, I'm seeing my, my family on my black side hurting. I'm seeing my family on my native side, like every summer, every summer. And during the holidays, I was on a reservation you know, and then, um, and then going back home to the inner city, you know, so I was just like, it, to me, it was one and the same. Yeah. And, and, that's, and, and that's, that's important. Your, your view, yeah. which is really helpful. Mm-hmm. You see it as one and the same because it was one and the same for you. And so I yeah. think, you know, when they say knowledge, wisdom, and understanding yes. you, I understand mm-hmm. because you've seen both sides, you know, one weekend, my mother, I was, my grandmother, on my mom's side, both of my grandparents' name, my grandmothers are Joyce. Both of my grandfather's name was Thomas on both sides of my family, paternal and maternal. One weekend I was in the, uh, over Grandpa, uh, Grandma Figaro's, which I would go with my aunts and then all my cousins in the street. And the next weekend over Joyce Taylor's house, it was nothing but church. I mean, she was most God. She's Jesus' cousin. I know she is without a doubt. And I I, I saw that as one. I, I thought everybody had that type of balance. Like, what do you mean? You didn't see the feds come in last week and somebody shooting up. And then the next weekend right. you're doing drill team <laughs> practice. I thought everybody did that, you know, I, I, because I was so involved in it and living in it. It was my normal. So I appreciate you saying that. And I hope that people receive that from you and find that as a blessing to a conversation because you truly can see both sides because it is your normal. But at the same time, I recognize, at least for me, speaking for myself, that that's normal for me. But I recognize my daddy's side of the family that did not see that. And that goes back to what we talk about in the beginning about the capacity and the capability to see the things that I see because they were never exposed, you know, to the other side. So you see it as one and the same, but people on either of those sides that did not have the opportunity to see both sides, they see it as a true competition. And so obviously you've been blessed with this gift and with this ancestry and, and with this knowledge to try to, I can't say, oh, we all going to come together. You know, on my show, I always say, I don't be looking for allies. I'm looking for frontline soldiers. I don't, mm-hmm. I think we spend a lot of time trying to get 
all of us to come together and agree instead of finding people that you rock with. And and uh, like Gideon's army, three hundred. I don't need ten thousand. I, I want I want three hundred. But I think it's important, you know, to have different voices out there to build allies. My brother Killer Mike, I think he's awesome at that. He's awesome at getting white folks to be educated and hear what we're talking about and whatever. I did that in corporate America. I've been around white folks forever. But in this space, that's not I'm not trying to build allies. I'm trying to look for frontline soldiers that's going to push the line, push the line, you know, but that is still needed. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping I I really am am praying that you uh, continue to use your voice because you have a very, very unique perspective. And I can see where people, you know, would challenge you. And I I hope that you get in the right spaces so that people can actually hear you um, because they're not going to hear because I appreciate your discernment. Before we started, you talked about being a very spiritual woman and being in tune with people's spirit. I, I pray that your discernment leads you to have these conversations with the right people because I want them to hear what you're saying and you have the ability to listen as well and say, okay, I feel you. Now, this interview can be over. You say, I don't care what Tessa said. I still, I said what I said and she didn't change my mind. But we had an opportunity to hear yeah. each other and that's yeah. what we don't do. We, we hear, but we don't listen. Yeah. And I've learned a lot today by listening to you. Yeah, I learned a lot from you as well. Yeah. I think this was really good. Yeah, These conversations do need to be had. And there's a variety. My second Indigenous Peoples Day interview with The Breakfast Club was I brought five Native Americans from various tribes to come and to speak. And so, so people were able to hear a variety of opinion and how different viewpoints. So it wasn't just me. I can't speak for all Indigenous people. I could just speak, speak on my experiences and, and share stories what other people have shared with me. But I've always, and, and I've always just saw, my mother taught me to see our similarities more than our differences, you know? And that's something that I strive to do is to be able to show, try to show people more of our similarities than our differences because this enemy has divided us up so bad. Mm-hmm. And when there was a time where we once traded with one another and we once were, you know, we was, you know, distant relatives to one another, you know? And um, and I think that we need to get back to that. We have to get back to that. We're starting to see that. Your voice is needed, not even just, I mean, to educate tribes. And I'll say this and I swear we're wrapping up, but <laughs> because of the way you present, it's so important because, like you said, stereotypes of what people should and should not look like. You have a very unique advantage because I'll just give you the story with, with George Floyd's funeral after the funeral. When we were in the back and eating, a Native American tribe came by and presented. You know, they paid homage. And I heard people in in the rooms, you know, and, and when I posted that photo and people said, look at them. They always trying to steal the shine. They always trying to make it about them. That is really out there. That oppression yeah, war yeah. is out there. And it is because we're talking about people that feel they have to continue to race you know, on who's going to get that one piece of bread. And I'm not realizing, and and I'm happy you're mentioning this because when it happened, I saw it on social media and I was like, you all do not know the history of Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. If you understand the history, American Indian movement was founded in Minneapolis around the corner from where George Floyd was murdered. Mm hmm. And they're still at that. They're still uh, the American Indian movement is still active today. There's a large population of Pacific Islanders in the Asian community in that community, a large population of Latinos. Those that are on the grassroots in Minneapolis, they know that if something pops off, it's going to be everyone from those race of people coming together. Yeah, I saw oh, it there. Oh. And then this was at his yep. funeral in Houston, though. They came uh-huh. after the funeral in another place. Yeah, they came. Yeah, they yep, came to the funeral. Yeah, you can see people, people wondering, like, why are they here? But they broke down. I can't remember what they said verbatim, but they gave certain artifacts and certain things, you know, yep. to, to bring peace and different things. Yeah, and, that, that's what we do. As it, and even if we go to Africa, if we, even if we go to Africa, the indigenous tribes of Africa will give you an offering, mm-hmm. give you something of gratitude, give you whether it's a prayer song, a dance, or something. See, the thing is, is that. We, as people of so-called color, 
we have to be able to get back to our indigenous roots Mm -hmm. of hospitality, of coming together and joining and communing together. We got to decolonize the way that we separate, because when you go to these other places, there's a respect level. But we also understand there's a respect level of culture and getting back to our indigenous roots. So even as something as as a funeral of George Floyd, Mm -hmm. that was nothing but our people uniting together of a common cause that all of us are being affected with which explains which which explains why you were so heartbroken about now it's all looping together it because you just said that that way now it really makes sense why you were so heartbroken when the people of flint didn't come commune with you because in your culture that is considered you know that that is how you connect and and that's the level of respect now that puts the bow on that because i don't know if people hear that would have got that until you just said they they heard you you know i I felt that was wrong. We didn't deserve that. But I, I was worried that somebody would say, well, why would she think it's about her? It's about being there to give the air. It's about when our time, our time, things that we give is a gift. Yeah. This thing, our conversation, we are gifting each other right now. Mm-hmm. We don't look at these small things because we, because our our former slave masters have taught us of an I attitude. It's about me and it's what I contribute and forget what you have to say. We have to decolonize the way that we commune with one another. And it's a simple thing of gratitude. It's a simple thing of looking at the small thing could be a big thing. You know, after this conversation, um, I'm heading to the ER because I'm not feeling well. I feel my heart rate went down to 50 yesterday. And as I mean, I'm, I'm, ho- I'm holding on with this conversation. Oh, wow. But, but, but I'm, I'm you heading to the ER. This up, yeah. this. But this, but, but no, but you're giving me a gift right now. Mm-hmm. And out of respect, I, I'm, you know, say I'm here with you because this is a gift of conversation. We don't take these times for a precious time. We take it for granted and we can't take people for granted. So we have to learn the history of movements, of cities, and we also have to respect one another and treat each other. You know, this is why they they threw in religion so hard. But the Ten Commandments is very basic. And even without religion, those Ten Commandments are even within traditional indigenous culture. From Africa to Asia to everything. Yeah, that's deep. That's a perfect way to end. I'm glad you put a bow on that. And and now it all makes sense on why you have, you know, the events that you do surrounded around self-healing and self-care and communing with others. I hope you continue, you know, to be a voice for that. It is so needed, uh, particularly to our, our activists that are out there on the front line. Um, you know, being a sister to so many, you know, you're spoken highly of uh, within this movement. I can certainly see why. And I, I think it's needed. I, I think you are. Um, I know it's no thing to it. You are a tremendous gift. And I want to thank you for coming by and gifting us. And hopefully we'll be back. Where can people find you before we get out of here? Yeah, it's on Queen. It looks like your Nasda Queen. Y-O-N-A-S-D-A. I'm the only Yonajaha in the world. So any of you put that in a Google search, you'll see it all. Yonajaha. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I got it right. I pronounced it right. <laughs> yes. Thank you for that. <laughs> no worries. Well, thank you, Queen. Thank you so much. Continue to do what you're doing. Continue to spread love and light and your gift. I, I look forward to hearing from you more. You- thank your voice you so is much. Needed. Thank you, sweetheart. Everybody, you just heard the queen breaking it down. I hope you got some gems. I hope you got some gems. Make sure you share this episode. This is really, really, really important just because of where we are in this space of oppression and how we can continue to work to each other. I've learned so much. I hope you did too. We'll be back next week going at it again. Please make sure you listen in for the next week or so as we move forward uh, with the George Floyd trial. I will be dropping uh, some bonuses so that you can stay up to date on that. And remember, always push the line, do whatever you can, however you can, push the line politics until something happens. You've been listening to Straight Shot No Chaser with Teslin Figaro. Until next time. If you like what you heard on Straight Shot No Chaser, please subscribe and drop a five-star review and tell a friend. Straight Shot No Chaser is a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. I'm Tesla Figaro, and I'd like to thank our producer, editor, mixer, the one and only Marcy DePina, our mix master, Dwayne Crawford, and our executive producer, Charlemagne Tha God. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.